Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The X3 are specialists in cricket kits, both on-field and off-field. Utilising their in-house design team, they can create your team an entirely bespoke cricket kit, including any colours, patterns or incorporating any images you desire. Your on-field cricket kit can be entirely unique to your club. Not only that, but they have a huge range of off-field and training wear in stock where they can add your club badge as well. Available in 20 colours that have your cricket team's colours covered. They also have off-the-shelf quick turnaround cricket whites in stock, ready to personalise with your team or club's badge and sponsor logos. Head to VX3 to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Wizards and Cricket Weekly podcast. We are down to the final four teams at the T20 World Cup. We'll be previewing the semi-finalists today, talking a bit about what went wrong for some of the teams that didn't make the final four, as well as all the other going-ons in the world of international cricket this week. I'm Yazrana and with me today is a magazine editor at Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker and Mark Butcher. So we've got Pakistan, New Zealand at Sydney on Wednesday and then India versus England at Adelaide on Thursday. We'll start with the second semi-final. England were pretty unconvincing in victory against Sri Lanka. But their recent record chasing is really not very good. Their recent record setting is very good. How can a team be so good at one of them and not so good at the other? Um, Microphone, microphone. I have no idea. (laughs) Hello, microphone. Hello, everybody. Um... I don't know. I mean, there, there seems to be, there seems to be a sort of a hesitance, perhaps when uh, when chasing, um, that wasn't a hallmark of of Owen Morgan's teams, um, and and they, t- you know, the, perhaps some of the pitches haven't been particularly good. In fact, some of them have been a downright downright poor in the tournament, and we'll probably get on to the fact that the, the semi final is going to be on a a used pitch at some point during the chat. Um, but England certainly seem to have to be less jittery um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to to setting 
than they were chasing in the past. And, and I, I have no idea why that is particularly. Uh, I still have a theory that, that with all of the, the batting resources that they've sort of had in the, over the course of the tournament, that you can, you can get to that point where you're complacent enough to kind of allow somebody else to, to take it on. Um, I think that the op- some of the options they've taken when chasing recently have not been particularly good. Um, let's face it, England haven't been, haven't been staring down the barrel of nines and tens, and perhaps if they were staring down the barrels of nines and tens, they'd chase it better. Uh, it just seems to me when you know when the game is there to be won, and you know we got off to a terrific start as they did against against Sri Lanka, and then suddenly the the run rate comes down to less than one a ball. They don't really know what they're doing, and thankfully, um, thankfully Ben Stokes went in there and reprised the World Cup 2019 final run chase and just kind of just sort of dead batted the ball into gaps and, and ran his backside off. Um, and, and in doing so, you then end up getting getting the odd bad ball to smack away for four. So, look, I, I, I don't know if that's not a particularly good answer as to why it's happening, but you would feel a damn sight happier about England winning the game if the, the coin came down the right way and they batted first in Adelaide on, on Thursday, that's for sure. There's a little caveat on... England's chase, which was nervy, and at one stage it looked like they might actually blow it. But I think I'm right in saying there's only been one successful chase at Sydney in this World Cup, which was that chase. So it's not an easy ground, it's not an easy, easy pitch to chase on. Um, I think that will be a big factor in the Pakistan-New Zealand game as well. I think the toss of the coin will go a long way to deciding that game when you look at the makeup of their sides as well. So England have struggled with it, but I wouldn't read too much into that game. And they, they did get through it. And that, well, I mean, except for the fact they did the same thing chasing a low total in a in a rain affected match against Ireland only only two week, uh, ten days before, you know. Sure, that looked that looked like bad. Strategy. And did it twice in like, Pakistan. Yeah, I mean that looked like bad strategy against Ireland. I'll I just think. keep throwing examples. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, there are, there are, don't confuse them with facts. No, there are plenty of examples, but I think Sydney we shouldn't look too much into that because that is a that is a tricky that's been a tricky pitch to bat on in this tournament, uh, particularly when you're chasing. I, I think Joe's being quite generous there personally. Um, I could not believe what I was watching, right? Just bring up the scorecard again. England was 75 for naught in seven overs, 7.2 overs when they lost the first wicket, chasing 1-4-4. It was 70 for none after six. Right, okay. So they lose Butler, 75s, you know, sort of clothed it to deep mid-wicket, but all right, he's got to 25-odd and they're obviously cruising. Uh, Hale's got out fair and square, slightly unluckily, toe-ended one, uh, caught and bowled. But then this middle order behaved skittishly, overly aggressively. Harry Brook, who I think is a brilliant young young cricketer, came in, tried to reverse sweep his second ball, looked completely ill at ease and totally inappropriate, really, to the, to the occasion. As Stokes, as Mark says, is composed sitting on his back at the other end. Brook goes, Livingston comes out, tries to leather it again out the ground no, the ball is nowhere near to play that shot now if he does we go we go okay you know what a what a talent what an eye totally inappropriate shot for the occasion completely and then mowing comes in chips one to extra cover but by this point the wheels are are definitely definitely coming off and if it hadn't been for stokes's uh, further it, further proof of why he is in this team. I don't care how many T20 games he's played in the last 18 months or what his average is. This is why he's in a world tournament. This is why he he needs to bat in that slot. Uh, and it was justified come the end. Uh, but my word, how they could have made a, a balls up of that to that extent. It may well just be a one-off. I'd said before that game, I wanted them to, to bat second because in a game where you you have to win, I wanted them to know what they needed to do and so on. And we thought that run rate might come into it at one point. But uh, it is it is a bit alarming. I think that there's there's a clarity when they bat first and there's a, there's a muddiness when they bat second in, in that middle order. You know, if they're chasing, then 
those sort of alpha batters in the middle order. I'm not entirely sure that they, they're particularly sure of how they need to go about that, you know, playing the situation rather than, rather than expressing their, their machismo all the time. Well, as Mark said, they're, they're almost more comfortable chasing none over than six. Yeah. There was a point where, yeah. not at 70 for none, but there was a point where I was thinking, well, they still do need to forget the run rate. They just actually need to score 70 more runs between numbers three to seven. And with the way those guys are batting, like you can actually see them not scoring 70 runs between them. And in those situations, it was when Wokes came out, I was like, ah, oh, I feel calm now that Wokes is the grease. <laughs> yeah. like, and it's like, he, he's, you know, he's, he's in number eight or nine. It's like yeah. he actually exudes more calm than numbers four to eight. This is a total uh, non secateur, right? But the 1983 World Cup final, India beat okay. West Indies. <laughs> India beat West Indies. India got 180 against the greatest team that ever was, and West Indies were bowled out for 140. And the theory goes, if India had got 250, then the West Indies would have won the game because they'd have thought, all right, well, you know, somebody's got to get their head down. Somebody's got to bat, and then we'll play around them. If they'd got 240, 250, West Indies would have won the game. But chasing 180, they they didn't because it was almost beneath them. And there is sometimes that feeling in cricket matches, you know, that these sort of peculiarly smallish targets... Can can sort of garble the brains a little bit of players who go out and play on instinct. I think 180 on that pitch would have been a really really difficult chase. I think I think it was a difficult pitch against some good spinners. But but, but where 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 in where in those wickets? What wickets can you identify as the pitch doing the doing the job for the bowlers? And 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 well, it's not the wickets necessarily. Is it? It's a build up of pressure. So they were struggling to score runs and then played silly shots. So but 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 Livingston's mm, shot, he, he picked the wrong ball to play it. But when Stokes are playing the anchor role, I don't think trying to hit a six at that point was a bad thing necessarily, apart from the fact he chose the wrong ball and didn't pull it off. But, but they had seven overs at that point to get fewer than 40 runs when Livingston Cloth went up in the air. You know, yeah, but quite a lot of batting still to come at that stage and, and Stokes settled. Mm. The interesting thing on Stokes... You, you are in a good mood this morning. <laughs> <laughs> interesting thing on Stokes that he's getting a lot of praise after the game, but he did actually have a couple of moments where he very nearly got out playing similar shots to Livingston. And it was almost when he realised that the game was in jeopardy, He, I, I said it on the Daily Pod, it was almost like Stokes entered World Cup mode for the first time, like 2019 yeah. World Cup mode. He's like, right, I am going to be the guy who makes sure we win this game. Well, which, that's that's the biggest plus that England I, could possibly want I think want you're absolutely right, but I also think that by accident, they've, you know, they've now got, they've now got the right lineup, um, And that whatever they do in terms of replacing Dad Milan, who's going to struggle... Whoever whoever they bring in, and it's, it'll probably be Phil Salt. I doubt that they'll go to to, to Chris Jordan, give themselves another another option at the death. Um, although that's probably the way that I would go. If they bring Phil Salt in, I want to see him batting below Moeen and, and Liam Livingston. I don't want him. I don't want to see them put him or or drop Hales because Hales and, and Butler have just started to get a thing going. Um, I don't want him to slot in there at three either. Totally. I want to get if you get if Ben's going to play, and it was, this was kind of my point right from the beginning about the two left-handers, either either Stokes or Milan. You take your pick, and obviously Stokes would always come come out on top during that conversation. But it then allows Ben to go in and have more time to play, and it gives all the people coming in behind him more time too. But if they go, if, if you go Milan three, Stokes four, all of a sudden those guys coming behind have got less and, less and less time. Yeah. So, so if they do bring in Phil Salt, which I think they're probably going to do. What do you think? I think that's probably what I think it go. seems most likely. I, most I think... likely. They'll, they'll keep the same, the same bowling options that they've got. Um, and, but I don't want to see him get in front of all of the other guys. Um, you know, that would, that would be a mistake, I think. We got an email, didn't we? I was just about to read it out. Yeah, um, read that out because it, 
he, he did a follow-up email sort of apologising for sending the initial I'm, one. I'm, I think the, the first one I has thought, validity. I, I replied to him saying exactly that. So Hugh wrote in to say, if Milan's tournament is over, might Liam Dawson be a good option against India? India have a top order of six right-handers. He can bowl stump to stump, forcing them to play to the long straight boundaries. He's way more accurate than Livingston, who might struggle with the ball with the short square boundaries. I know it will never happen, but could it could it work? He then sent us a follow-up email, as Phil says, basically apologising for the question, saying, no need to talk about that. But I was like, no, I, the more I think about that, that's a, we that's get. So that is definitely good. not a terrible shout. Used, used pitch, crabby pitch. The tricky, the tricky thing with that, though, they would... So, Norson's not in the squad as it stands. So he's a backup player. So they would have to give up on Milan playing in the final, remove him from the squad, bring in Dawson. We don't know in what state Milan is in, but if he could play in the final, you want to give him every single chance to. So that's the difficulty. Other than that, I think there's a lot of logic in that in that decision. There's Sorry, a lot of logic, question. but a lot of logic, but unfortunately not going to happen. Not going to happen. <laughs> but it's a good call. <laughs> the, the chat on, on Twitter today has been that uh, it's been confirmed that the semi-final Adelaide is going to be played on a used pitch Chris asks are England's chances of winning significantly reduced by playing on a used pitch should knockout matches always be played on fresh pitches but what do you reckon what what does what does a used pitch mean for how the cricket will be affected well number one the, the the big three matches of the tournament should always be played on fresh pitches end of no no excuses I'm trying to remember um whether or not because I remember watching the back end of the, uh, the New Zealand-India World Cup semi-final from Old Trafford and thinking, my God, that's a dog of, of a surface. And it sort of sparked up a conversation that, that, that went on forever and ever um, about pitches. And I think that that was a used one. It might not have been. If it wasn't a used one, good grief. It was one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst starting ones you'll ever see. Um, so, they, yes, knockout matches should be played on, on pitches whereby the toss of the coin becomes less of a factor um, because of course, you know the, the the pitch was a used one at Sydney in the in the match against Sri Lanka. All of those games in Sydney is that the blocks are pretty small in Australia. So as you go along, um, you know the, they they tend to get very tired and really favour the teams setting a, a, a total, which is what um, which is what our friend Joe has been talking about in terms of how difficult the run chase was. So that's not what you want in the semi final. You do not want the coin to come down and everyone go oh crikey, you know one fifty will be a decent pass score and you struggle to get there. Um, Sometimes that's very exciting for the fans, or at least the last five or six overs of those games are, are very exciting for the fans. But in terms of it being sort of a fair contest where the, where the toss of the coin has less of, less of an effect, it isn't right. Um, and of course, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, India and their spinners and all that kind of stuff. Well, England have actually bowled more overs of spin in the tournament than India have. Um, Rashid bowled beautifully against Sri Lanka, yeah, had a it, little bit of criticism, which I thought was a bit, a bit unfair. Well, I, yeah, I mean, because he got tagged for those for those sixes by Glenn Phillips, didn't he, in the New Zealand game, having had him dropped of the absolute dolly, which would have, which perhaps would have made everything a lot more um, or less stressful. Um, so, in terms of actually favouring India's makeup, um, the makeup of their team or the, or their personnel, I don't think it does particularly over England whatsoever. I suppose you could argue that that India would be more suited generally or brought up on pitches where, where, where the, the ball might hold a little bit more than England. But again, I'm not sure that there's a massive amount of evidence for that in the modern era. I think England England play the turning ball um, as, as well or as badly as India do nowadays. So it's just, it's just to be a shame if that became a talking point for what is a, you know, a titanic contest there, there in Adelaide. Before we start recording, Mark asked, whether the 2019 semi-final pitch was used or not. So I Googled it and the first web story I clicked on had a tweet embedded 
from Mark's Twitter account that just said, sorry, but pitches have been garbage this tournament. Um, well, he's consistent. <laughs> you were. can't say. <laughs> they were. And they, 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 I, don't, I don't think they've been that great for this one either. We've but, also but just we got go. a reply from Hugh. So I said to him, it's a good question. We're going to talk about it in the pod. And he said, thanks. I was thinking that England only really, really bowl Moe to match up despite bowling really well this tournament. If only we had a left arm spinner, dot, dot, dot. But sometimes I wonder if I have an overblown opinion of Dawson. I have a friend who thought Ryan Bertrand was much better than he was and was always adamant he should be in every England squad. So I worry that Liam Dawson is my Ryan Bertrand. <laughs> Which is excellent. Uh, I, guess, I guess the other thing for the for that semi-final is that the pitch dimensions are a bit different. So short square boundaries and long straight boundaries, which apparently means you've got to bowl more Yorkers and fewer into the pitch stuff but England been bowling a lot of into the pitch stuff so I don't know how that will affect things anyway Phil what's your moment of the week dare I ask I'll try and be brief well it, be, it began my moment of the week is Saturday last last week began with that Sri Lanka game um watched it all then watched actually waiting for my mate to pick me up uh he's always late and he was two hours late this time so I watched the greatest game uh the account of the 2019 World Cup final and I actually thought it was a really brilliant piece of work have you seen it the, the no, thing. I've seen I've seen bits and pieces. It's, Yoza, it, it's a Yoza um, yeah, production, no. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Simon Hughes has written it. Um, it's really nicely done. They go back to Owen Morgan's uh, family home back in Dublin. Shows where he, he learned he learned the game on a little kind of grassy knoll by the back of his house, you know. Uh, and they they take certain kind of trips out with with different different players back to their backgrounds and so on. So it's really nicely done, actually. So I found that quite quite powerful put me in good form got in the car drove down to Bournemouth saw Bob Dylan play at the Bournemouth International Centre that was uh, an almost religious experience you saw him up in Nottingham I did I did and and the same did you find find a similar I thought it was uh, the the only I suppose my only gripe would be that the that the um, the Nottingham Arena was was perhaps a little bit bigger than than some of the other venues that he's been playing on the trip, so right. it was a little bit less intimate. But yeah, it was still okay. it was still magnificent, and um, yeah. and Al and I very much enjoyed it, and and Rioja, I seem to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got various tales from that, but I'm going to keep it brief. As I said, you know, you know me, um, brevity as ever. Uh, and anyway, then stumbled back to the Airbnb about one-ish, two-ish in the morning, stuck the iPad on, saw that the Netherlands were turning over South Africa, and I beat the bookies for 10 minutes. I put three quid down at 275 to one, Bangladesh to win the tournament. Because if Netherlands if won that Netherlands game... Netherlands won and they beat Pakistan, they're in the semi-final. I wasn't thinking entirely cogently at that point, because <laughs> they have stunk the whole tournament out, but then I also thought three quid... And we'd also managed to blag a round, 36 quid round of gin and tonics at the venue, um, which we which we couldn't pay for. And they said, just have them anyway. Uh, but that's another story. What a day. Anyway, uh, so I watched those three games play out over the course of the, course of the night. Uh, turned it in about six or seven in the morning. Uh, three pound poorer. But... Uh, Having had a, a glorious, you were right. glorious day, <laughs> I was very right generous definition of beating the bookies. So, so no, what I'm saying, <laughs> listen, what I'm saying, two seventy-five to yeah. one, two seventy-five to one. Ten minutes later, Joe, it was thirty to one to win the whole tournament, right? So I could already cash out quite a lot, even okay. on a three quid bet. Okay, I didn't because I'm a natural optimist. Um, Always back the Tigers. <laughs> and then all, round, and they were 70 round for one. Well. They were 70 for one in the Every overs. podcast we've done, we've said what a poor T20 side they are. Yes, yeah. so I'd, you, I'd you, forgotten you, that. You lumped on with <laughs> your three pounds. I'd forgotten that at the time. I, I, I think the experience of seeing the great man 
garbled my otherwise every grain of sand ramrod straight rationale. That's more of a day of the week rather than a, a day moment, of the week. Yeah. A very good day. Yeah. Um, back back to the cricket. Um, Joe, India topped Group Two, but they weren't that convincing themselves. They only just beat Bangladesh last week. Uh, they lost to South Africa. Uh, how, how do you see that game going from like an India perspective? Uh, I think India are favourites. They look a more complete, uh, smoothly functioning team to me. But but like you said, it's it's been far from serene progress so far. And on a used pitch, I do, again, I do think that the toss is the... That feels the more decisive thing than which side is better at this point because the two sides are fairly evenly matched, um, which isn't how it should be at this stage in the tournament. As Butch says, these should be fresh pitches, clearly. Um, you know... Sky and Kohli are in fantastic form. They're clearly the two big wickets they need to get. The one for me who slipped a bit under the radar after getting a few runs against Pakistan is is uh, Hardik Pandya, who hasn't really come off since then, but has been in unbelievable form over the last what year. What a cricketer. Uh, won, won the IPL, has been in fantastic form. We saw him in a T20 over here just dominate the game against England. So he would be, besides Sky and Kohli, who are obviously the two big wickets, he'd be the one I'd be worried about from an England perspective. He's bowled nicely as well. He's picked up wickets, but quite a quiet tournament with a bat. And uh, at the start, I picked him out as someone who I thought could be the one to end this long, winless streak for India in major tournaments. And I still think he might have something to say about it. I, I think it's bubbling up nicely for India. Raul had a very quiet start to the tournament. He's made back-to-back 50s. If Sharma, who got hit in the nets this morning, if he's fit, he's due, in fairness, but he's obviously a huge That also means he's player. out of form. If he's, if he's due, that means he's not He's not doing that. Sure, but law of averages, good player, law of averages. I always fall back on that. Um, Yeah, I I would say India by a nose at this this point. Just on Surya Yadav, he's he's totally ridiculous at the moment. So in 2022, he averages 45 in T20Is at a strike rate of 186. So his average innings, his average innings is 44 off 24, which is totally absurd. Are we we need a cricket viz person here, don't we? But are we getting into kind of all-time... Has anyone been able to do that? Well, I mean, we're looking at yesterday. So, A.B. de Villiers had a... Basically, a seven-year streak in the IPL where every IPL he averaged more than 35 at a strike rate of more than 150. So, there's, there's that, but... Gale at his peak as well, must have... Yeah, yeah, I guess different different role, but yeah, Gale at his peak. Cricket have actually done a piece for us that's going up today on like how good is Sky, what makes him really good and how do you bowl him. Against Pace, he has a strike rate of over 130 in every zone they've got. So no matter where a quick bowls at him, he strikes at at least 130. So he doesn't, he almost literally doesn't have a weakness. But he hasn't faced Liam Dawson yet. But he hasn't so. faced Liam Dawson <laughs> no, yet. The Cincinnati kid or will Ryan sort, sort him right. out. <laughs> Sammy Curran will sort him out. Don't worry about that. Anyway, somehow, somehow Pakistan qualified for the semi-finals after the Netherlands beat South Africa and, and Pakistan beat Bangladesh. Pakistan fans are getting really excited by the parallels between this World Cup and the 1992 World Cup because both of those World Cups were in Australia. They In both World Cups, they lost to Australia in the semi-finals in the previous World Cup. So in 1987, Pakistan lost to Australia. In 2021, Pakistan lost to Australia. In both occasions, Pakistan lost their first game at the MCG. They lost to India in the group stage. They won three games in a row at the end of the group to qualify for the semi-finals. Both times they faced New Zealand in the semi-finals and not not explicitly related to, to Pakistan, but in the tournaments, South Africa got screwed over by the rain and DLS a little bit. Um, <laughs> and it's, there you go. So, and it's so, cool. It's a 30, give, um, give them the trophy now. <laughs> give them the trophy now. 30-year gap. I think my the- favourite thing about Pakistan this week is that um, Nasser Hussain was trending in Pakistan 
because Pakistan fans believe that Pakistan do better when Nasser is on commentary, uh, which isn't the first time Pakistan fans have had theories on how commentators impact their team. <laughs> so a couple of years ago, someone did a study, well, a study, but like a long Twitter thread on how when Ramiz Raj is on commentary, Pakistan do worse. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's like the equivalent of losing a wicket at the start of every stint yeah. with Ramiz Raj on commentary. Fantastic. So uh, depending on the ICC commentary rotor... Do we know um, if Nasser's on, which game he's on? Well, he's probably be on the England game, Of course he will, yeah. So bad news of Pakistan in the semi-final then. Um, well, we, 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 we at least Rambo won't be on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. We, we, we went to print on the magazine on Wednesday Wednesday evening, uh, and it's out in a couple of days, and we were re- previewing the test series against Pakistan, England, Pakistan, England, and I wrote, uh, so much flows from the imperious bat of Babar Azam, and I fear that their disastrous World Cup campaign <laughs> and Babar's own travails will hang heavy on his head. I later described them as a bruised team uh, that will be vulnerable uh, and under pressure after such a botched, disastrous World Cup campaign. <laughs> They're going to win it, folks. <laughs> Well, I mean, the thing it. is that, that you know, Shaheen Sharafidi sort of started the t- having spent the whole of the the England series back here in in London trying to get his his knee stroke hamstring injury sorted out, and he started off the tournament unbelievably rusty, didn't he? I mean, he looked he looked sort of a shadow of himself in the ten MPH down, wasn't he? India India game, as as you would do. I mean, he just hasn't played. Um, you know, four for twenty two against Bangladesh. It looks like he's starting to come to it. And and Rizwan and Baba, who haven't managed to get out of the of the third over, I don't think, managed to scratch a few runs together against Bangladesh. It all looks like things are moving in a decent direction for them. And of course New Zealand's um, you know, most recent outing. Was it the most recent one? They got the England England turned them over. Yeah. Um, you know, New Zealand had the opportunity to knock England out of the tournament and kind of fluff their lines a bit and and so you, you just wonder. You wonder. New, Ze- New Zealand have reached the semi-final, of course, mm. as, as we said they would at the beginning. <laughs> Get right the most that consistent one team, New Zealand, yeah. overall. Yeah, I guess it's quite... They peaked at the very, very start. So in the last week, they beat, uh, they lost against England and then they beat Ireland. That's kind of it. So I guess the momentum isn't quite with You don't New feel like that was. batting lineup, and Phillips has been fantastic. But mm. aside from that, Conway started well but hasn't made a score since. It doesn't look like a batting lineup that scares you, but they're just always in the game, aren't they? They're mm. just always at you. It's one of those ones that if England do get through to the final, you'd think they're probably favourites against either side, but I would still probably expect them to lose against either of them. Just based on recent history, if Pakistan gets to the final, it feels like they'll win it, just yeah. that, you know, if, if they've got that far. Yeah. But it's very, if they've had a whole kind of change of strategy, which has been forced upon them by the fact that Rizwan and Babra haven't been getting any runs. Suddenly this middle order, which looked like nothing against England, is now carrying them through. Uh, the, the question is, are Barber and Rizwan going to come good? And if they do, are they going to do it at a rapid enough pace that's not going to affect the middle order? Because mm. again, at Sydney, you need that game show. Sri Lanka and England both scored so many of their runs in the power play. They're going to have to come out hard. It's not really Rizwan and Barber's style. Uh, and they could end up causing issues for a middle order, which suddenly looks in quite a good touch. Mm. I mean, the emergence of Mohamed Harris is, is sensational. He wasn't even in the squad a week ago. He's only ever played five PSL games. Uh, he's an opener. I think he's only faced like 15 balls in the PSL, not in the power play. And now Pakistan decided that he, sh- he should come into the team, but not as an opener. And he's hit 28 off 11 and 31 off 18 in a pair of wins, which is just vintage Pakistan, isn't it? And Masood um, is what? Is he their top scorer in the tournament? So, and opener yeah. again in the middle orders? They basically yeah. four openers. <laughs> yeah, four openers. <laughs> on, 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 and Shadab Khan's been brilliant as well in the last couple of games. Um on, Mo, on Mo, Mo Harris, uh, that's the name of Big Mo in EastEnders. That's her surname. <laughs> Mo, Big Mo, yeah, is it? Yeah. Big Mo Harris. But anyway, um, 
Whatever plays out, whoever wins this thing, it's a brilliant story. It's been a triumphant tournament. Forget the rain. It's been a triumphant tournament anyway. And you make a, a lovely case for any four of those victors. If it's India, then then they're due. They're magnificent. They've been waiting for far too long to win a world world title again. That would be huge. If it's England, then they're double winners, first time ever. They hold both trophies at the same time. If it's New Zealand, then finally they can exercise the demons of 2019 and so on and so on. And if it's Pakistan, it's Pakistan. So however you play it, it's a great story. Mm. Uh, we've got the, the semi-finals that the tournament deserves, I think. Mm. Just on um, New Zealand, I saw, I think, some quotes from Kane Williamson this week. And he's basically talking about how New Zealand are very confident and very good at reading pitches and very good at communicating to their own team during a match that this is what the pitch is doing. So as a bowler, this is what you should be doing. Or when they're batting, this is what par is if they're batting first. Um, I guess like have, with their with them having had so much success over the last six years in white ball cricket, it must be something like that which makes them better in tournament cricket than, than other teams. Well, we saw, I mean, that England game, New Zealand should have won that really. Five overs to go. I, I made New Zealand favourites, marginal favourites, but favourites nonetheless. And again, I think they, they read the situation really well right until the last and then just lost key wickets at, at, at the wrong time. But that's, yeah, still a really dangerous team. And in that New Zealand Ireland game, it's worth mentioning that Josh Little, who's had a really good tournament, got a hat trick. Um, yes. He's, he's fabulous, him. Mm. He's in my fantasy team, Josh Little. Right from the start. Did, did anybody read the stuff? Sorry, I read the stuff about the, about the, t, the US. Mm. Major League yesterday. Oh, I read read something last night. That's rather exciting, is it? I mean, it's kind of like bloody hell, another one. But yeah, but imagine the, if that. But kicks that market off. is huge. Yes. It's already huge. Yeah, it's obviously untapped. Uh, but a lot of the traffic that kind of comes through Wisdom dot com it comes from North America. I know Crick Info has a large chunk of its own traffic through North America. So yeah, it's a sleeping giant without a doubt. It's it could be huge for the game financially but also the game's broadening growth you know mm. over the next 10 years joe what's your moment of the week mine came from the australia afghanistan game really exciting game actually australia just squeaked over the line but um obviously wasn't enough to keep them in the tournament but the big news and that, that match was covered in the, our daily podcast but the big news from that match was that mitchell stark got dropped by australia which i think took a lot of people by surprise Stuart Brawl was saying on twitter i can't believe he's been dropped an experienced team, and why would you ever drop your experience team? <laughs> um, I don't know where he was coming from there. Um, Never. And I think, but I think that selection did take a lot of people aback because it was not long ago that Stark was, you know, in the in the sort of stratosphere of Shaheen and Boomer where they are now as you know T Twenty gun. But he's had an interesting. He's taken an unconventional route and he hasn't played a domestic T Twenty since two thousand and fifteen. He's only played international T Twenties. He's focusing on Test cricket, where he's been brilliant for the last twelve months. Uh, and I think there's a lot of admiration for what he's done and a lot of people would like to see other fast bowlers do that. The flip side is now we're seeing he's not the T20 bowler that he was, which is not surprising given he doesn't play it as much and given the fact that the other fast bowlers play it all the time and they're a lot of specialist skills that you obviously have to keep working on. The result is he's he's been dropped from the sides uh, and now Mark Ramakash wrote a column for the last Wisdom Cricket Monthly talking about his fears about the future of fast bowling in test cricket essentially why would you bother in in test cricket putting your body through it when there's this money to be earned in t20 cricket well stark's gone the opposite way and you know might have ended up damaging his chances of getting big paydays at, at franchise i mean he'll still be clearly in demand but not to the same level so whilst we're kind of happy to see that 
someone like Stark has decided to do that, it also serves as a bit of a cautionary tale for other quicks. Are they going to want to go that route or are they going to want to go with T20? And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit depressing, um, but it is the reality. I guess it's not that dissimilar to the, the path that Stokes has taken and actually it's seen that it's taken him a few games into the tournament for him to, to get to the level where he can be. So far, it's kind of worked for England, but you could see that, you know, Stokes is probably one bad game away. If he didn't get that 40 against Sri Lanka, England possibly knocked out with Stokes having done very, very little in the tournament. So I guess that is a, a risk. For, and I guess for T20 sure. cricket I mean, is but the, the other side, so The other side of that, from from the test cricket point of view, is it's interesting that the, the two players you mentioned are two players who are for whom the money is, is, is extremely good to do whatever you want to do. Sure, yeah. Um, he's, he's not struggling no. whichever way he goes, is he? But, but. Players, players from anywhere other than England, New Zealand and, and, and Australia, they, they would, unlikely, would be unlikely to make the same choice, which is where the danger to Test Match cricket comes. And it's, you know, it's another thing about the, the US League. Whilst it's brilliant for the reach of the game, it might be very very bad for the for the long form of the game Ben's not on this show obviously but he did a he did a very funny tweet after that game so an Australian journalist called Lachlan McCurdy tweeted during the England Shranker game Lorcan Tucker will never have to buy another beer for his life if he's ever in England his innings at the Gabba is the reason there are no net run rate concerns in this match to which our very own Ben Gardner replied, trying to imagine Norkin Tucker actually attempting to get himself a free drink in England. Yeah, I'm Irish. I played this innings against Australia. <laughs> it helped England qualify for the T20 World Cup semi-finals on net run rate. Some random guy in the pub. Give me a Mate, what the Guinness. fuck are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's been doing some tweets. He's, he's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's good on the Twitter. Yeah, he's doing that. Um, it's been a lot less spiky recently. He's been he's going down the the, the gentle humour route. He is though, <laughs> the sardonic side. There you yeah. go. There, there you go. There's a lesson there for everyone, uh, mm. but especially Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what's your oh, moment of the week? Has, has he banned? My you moment yet? of the week. No, not been banned yet. No, no I'm, try, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm still trying. Sticking. What's he doing? <laughs> anyway, um, moment of the week. Roloff van der Merwe. Roloff van der Merwe in conjunction with Ian Smith. Greatest catch of the tournament and a brilliant piece of commentary. Was <laughs> the passport? They say he's old, but the legs are still young, or something, because he sprinted back and caught uh, caught David Miller. An absolutely extraordinary grab um, that consigned South Africa to yet another gas-taking um, extravaganza. Um, you know, it was only only a couple of weeks back that everyone was saying not everyone but all those people who were being kind enough to forget that this is what happens to them in, in, in uh, major tournaments were saying that they look like the best team in it so um, so that was one heck of a moment for old Rolly does this one does this South Africa one even count as a choke though it's kind of a pre-choke isn't it they didn't even get to the moment where they could choke. Well, I mean, what? Well, look, the, the game it's was kind of the game, They had to it? win. They had to win the game. It was kind. Of, it might as well have been a semi-final or a final, right? You have, if, you, if it's a game, you have to win, and you're playing against a team that you would be ranked, goodness knows how many places above, mm. um, having played the best cricket in tournaments that you can remember South African teams playing for a long time, having beaten England here in a T20 series, having a bowling attack that everyone's saying, "Wow, these you know these are the guys that are going to carry off the tournament." I think that counts. I guess so. It just didn't, it didn't feel like there was a lot of pressure going into the game, did it? Until they lost well, it, and then no, it was. But, but that's the point, isn't it? The, the, the pre- the, they still had to win the game. I mean, it, it was a knockout, and they got knocked out. They got knocked the f out. I don't understand how it happens. Like when they're playing, are they aware? Are they thinking of Alan Donald in 1999? Like, why does that history affect them every single I think, time? I think or? they. Ca- I think the South African teams carry it with them, and I also think. I also think, and this is. Uh, this kind of drills down into into South African cricket in many ways. 
all of the, the fault lines that are in there about whether or not they think Temba Bavuma should be the captain of the team, whether or not they feel that certain players are only in the side because of, because of quotas, all of these things, when it comes down to it, when the, when the pressure's properly on, that's when they, don't, they can't bring it all together. They can't all be together and, and play as a team or get over the line as a team because they don't really believe they are one. You know, when, when things are good and when you're, when you're not under the pump massively, those things you can paper over those sorts of cracks. But they become like the, um, like the Grand Canyon when you're right up against it. And that's what happens to them. I mean, that, that wasn't the case. But, you know, this all started, I suppose, back in, in 99 and all that kind of stuff. And that's when the myth began and when everybody else started to talk about it because it was such a, an extraordinary sort of failure in the end. But since then, lots of, lots of, lots of things have happened in South African cricket and South, to South African cricketers, to South African cricketers who have decided they have to make their way elsewhere because they can't get into t- teams in, in South Africa. All of the other fault lines that are there Coaches being up on charges of tribunals, you know, b- 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 accusations of racism flying around from the people at the top going backwards and forwards from white to black, black to white. All of these things, when, you, when it really, really comes down to it, are very, very bad in a dressing room that has also got this myth rattling around in their heads anyway. You know, Sean Pollock with the, with, the, with, with the DLS. You know, there's a litany of these things happening. If it's going to go wrong, it will go wrong for South Africa. And they are not together enough to kind of to, to rise above it. It's, it's gone on so long that Tristan Stubbs wasn't even born in 1999. There must be a couple that weren't. in August 2000. But it, we know from you know aspects of English sport, it becomes ingrained in the psyche and you hit those moments and suddenly that line pops into everyone's head. Yeah. Um, in the end, though, it was an amazing tournament for the Dutch. They finished fourth in Group 2, which means they'll qualify automatically for the next T20 World Cup, which I think is the best performance by an associate since Kenya in 2003. Uh, I spoke to their opening bowler, Fred Clarsen, this morning about their campaign and how they ended up performing much, much better this year than last year. Uh, among other things, he mentioned how the exposure they got from being the only non-test playing nation in the ODI World Cup Super League helped them out. Here is that chat with Clarsen. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. How are you doing? How are you feeling after that? winning against Africa uh, what was the mood in the camp like Africa were arguably favourites for the World Cup a week ago now you've beaten them finished in the top eight of a World Cup and have qualified for the next World Cup automatically which is some achievement yeah um, it, was a, it was a lovely way to finish the um, tournament obviously it was a little bit maybe if we had if we'd played better in that Bangladesh game we may have a shot to go to the semis which um, you know we talked about as a team actually uh, make, making semi-finals and our coach's goal was to win um, five games of the World Cup including the first round um, obviously, we only got we got four, which was still a pretty good effort. But, um, but you know, getting to the semis probably seemed like a very optimistic um, goal for our team. But one of those ones we sort of once we started talking about it, um, and once it was sort of you know we put it out there, it was sort of like actually the boys. We, it wasn't actually as ridiculous as maybe it might sound to some others. Um, and you know, we ended up the fact that we did beat South Africa in the end meant that we're only sort of one one game away from actually making it. Finishing eighth is the is the best performance by a, an, an associate country, I think, in 19 years since Kenya got to the semi-finals in 2003. 
Like, wh- where do you think that belief came from? Because, as you say, you really weren't that far off actually threatening for a semi-final place. Yeah, I think uh, just the, probably the, the squad that we had, we, we had a very good side. I mean, we didn't actually play to our, to our potential throughout the tour. And probably, probably our most complete game was the South African game. Um, we obviously struggled a bit, bit with the batting. Um, in, in the middle order, we didn't really get the runs that we would like to, and you know, a few of those games were quite close that they probably shouldn't have been. Um, so I think that just showed that sort of the, the capability of our side um, against against South Africa there. Um, so it's probably a little bit of a shame that we couldn't put um, sort of performance, complete performances like that for for more of the games. I mean, obviously, Netherlands are part of the the ODI World Cup Super League um, and get I guess exposure that other associate nations don't quite get at the moment. Do you think that that has helped the development of your side? I know you don't get to play a full strength side every time you go out there, but has playing the big boys for the last couple of years helps? Do you think, even though that's a different format? Yeah, no, definitely. I think especially for, for the guys that are domestically based in the Netherlands, you know, they got that exposure through um, quite a few different series there, um, which is which is great. You know, it means, I mean, the play, I, those players, they're, they're good enough to play at that level, but I think it's it's, it's actually the experience of getting it and, and the taste of it uh, makes a big difference. And actually that gives you that uh, that self-belief, that belief that you actually know that you're good enough to be at that level. I think that's really important. So for, for guys like Vikram Singh and um, Sharif Samed, um, even Buster later as well, to sort of play um, quite a few games, a lot of series, and, and get that get that experience meant that when they came up and played in a World Cup, which, you know, has other pressure to it as well, uh, in Australia, conditions that none of us had really played in. Um, but it meant that we were in, in, a, in, a, in a better position to, to compete as well. And you mentioned playing conditions that you guys haven't really played much in before. How do you go about preparing for playing in Australia when when you haven't had that match experience? Um, I think Perth was probably was the, the most difficult one, um, just with with the pace and balance. And we only had one one training session um, at at the Optus Stadium, and I think that's that's probably where we were we were most that that game was probably outplayed the most, I'd say, um, which I was, was probably the flattest I felt after. After all the games, just because I, I personally, I didn't think I played very well, um, but I felt like we were never, we never really in it. Um, you know, that Pakistan bowling attack on on that wicket, where they had four guys bowling over 140 k's an hour, um, and they they did pretty much blow our batting order. So yeah, I mean, it would have been nice maybe to have a couple more days in Perth. I mean, our coach Samuel, even Dan Christian kept telling us how how nice. Perth is the bat once you get in. Um, we unfortunately didn't get to experience that. I mean, it's just you know that extra um, pro, uh, provided quite a uh, quite a quite a threat. Obviously, there are, there are a few results in the tournament where teams that didn't qualify automatically for the Super Twelves beat some of the biggest sides. Did did you, when you saw results like Scotland beating West Indies, Zimbabwe beating Pakistan, for example, did that give you like an extra sense of belief that actually the gap between uh, the side, even though they've got all these IPL players, etc., isn't actually as big as you might have previously thought. Yeah, I think absolutely the, the nature of T Twenty cricket as well. I mean, we've seen upsets over the years and things like that. I rather than actually, yeah, it probably motivated me more because I felt that our team was as good, if not better, than those teams that were making the upsets, and we hadn't we naturally upset one of the big sides. I mean, we beat Zimbabwe, which obviously is playing nation, but um, to take obviously Ireland beating. England and um, Namibia being Sri Lanka, 
and Scotland winning as well, I sort of was like, that's why it was quite nice. It was almost satisfying when we did beat South Africa. It was like, yeah, well, they're like, I don't know. I've, I've never been part of, of, a, of a big upset like that. But then does, does planning for those games differ to, to most of your fixtures? Do you have a score in mind of if we get to 160, we really back our bowling attack to cause them problems? Or, yeah, was, was it any different to how you'd prepare for, an, for a normal game? I think we kind of, we went into that game with, with nothing to lose. Obviously, if, if we won, I have to qualify for the next World Cup. But, you know, and we'd had an, we'd had an amazing um, tour anyway. We, you know, hadn't necessarily all gone our way. But, um, you know, I think by then we were, we were just playing to enjoy ourselves, which can be, which can be quite an important factor, I think. Um, obviously, South Africa had all the pressure on them. Um and with their historic results in other World Cups, you know, we could probably we could probably play on that a little bit. As, as how the game sort of unraveled, as you said, as I said, we had, we didn't really bat very well um, throughout the tournament. Um, but you sort of you could tell from the side, even after sort of three South African taking a wicket and Steph and Max had got off got us off to a lovely start. You could sort of sense sort of the body language sort of drop a little bit um, with the South Africans. I actually, for, for South African standard, they probably didn't bowl as well as they wanted to in the power play. Um, and it was inter- interesting, obviously, Norkia came away with uh, very good figures, but him opting for slow balls quite early was quite interesting. Um, and we got, you know, we had a nice power play and um, we managed to put a, put a nice sort of uh, batting innings together. Uh, and Colin Ackerman obviously finished it off um, very well and got us to a competitive total. So... I mean, we always knew that our, our bowling, our bowling was, was was strong enough to compete with with all the teams. Um, I suppose you you kind of felt I sort of felt as the bowler like okay, the, the batters are stand up now. It's time for the bowlers, and just because the expectation there sometimes that you know they can play against you. But um, again, we managed to take sort of wickets throughout and keep keep the pressure on in terms of the the run the required run rate, and then um, you know at the end took wickets at, at the correct times, and it made it harder and harder for them. Hmm. What, what was the chat in the in the huddle when just before you went out? Scotty just sort of said, you know, we've we've set a we've set a good score here, and um, if we put these batters un, under pressure, we'll, you know, we we'll see we we'll see where it goes. It wasn't about we have to take wickets here, here or there, or we have to take these sort of guys down. It's sort of you know sustained pressure is uh, just by hitting lines and lengths. And funny enough, I probably although my figures came out alright, I probably didn't actually bowl as well as I wanted to in terms of my consistency. But again, T Twenty can play like that. You can take wickets with you know, ball with like not amazing balls. And, um, you know, it's nice to get a, a big wicket like Quinton Cox so early. <laughs> Very dangerous player. Their whole, their whole batting lineup is dangerous, you know, Rousseau and guys like this. But probably because we had made a, a, a sort of competitive total to, to chase down, that obviously played into our into our hands because they were under pressure. You know, you probably saw someone like Riley Rousseau not being able to play with as much freedom as he had, uh, you know, during the tournament or even in the blast where, you know, he had an had a outstanding tournament he's a very um dangerous batsman one of the batsmen that i don't enjoy bowling to um just because of you know how good he is so um you know it was uh, you're out of, you're able to play with that scoreboard pressure and, and the fact that they it was a must win for them you know they have the ex- expectate they have a far bigger expectation than we have you know from the, not only from the cricketing world but just their, their nation as well um, and you mentioned kind of like how experienced a lot of your your players are. A lot of you guys play county cricket. How how important is is that you guys playing this much county cricket as, as development for you guys? As you say, you play players, you play against players like Rousseau all the time. Yeah, I mean, experience wise, that that's great. Um, we are probably the catch twenty two is that, that we don't get to play as that squad um, as much as sort of other teams do. So, 
I mean, that's why it's finished now, but it's but we were away together, sort of guys sort of added to the group. But for me, it was about two months, and it's it's almost like a bit of an empty feeling now. Uh, now that it's all over, uh, there's obviously a lot of highs and lows throughout throughout the tournament, um, throughout the trip. But now that it's all over, um, it's sort of it's yeah, it's quite abrupt, quite an abrupt sort of ending, and you sort of don't. It's sort of always a bit okay. Well, when are we going to get uh, another tour with that? You know, with the same sort of squad when everyone's available. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can't you can't have it. You can't have everything. So obviously, the experience that brings from the likes of Ruler Van Merva and Colin Ackerman, Paul Van Makeren, obviously playing Tim Van der Guten, Logan playing in New Zealand. Um, you know, it, it's great for the experience, and you know, it's obviously a few we have a couple of guys there that sort of uh, grew up in South Africa, so they you know they know some of the guys personally, that the opposition personally, and that that helps. So that plays into our hands. So. Um, I guess, like, yeah, you say you don't get to be full strength that often. That ODI series against England that was on TV, for example, you had a lot of first-choice players not around. So how does the build-up to a tournament, do you feel like you're building towards something as, as a group when not everyone can actually be there for a lot of the time? Yeah, I think, as I say, the nature. I mean, we talk about the build-up to this World Cup. Compare, probably it was a, a little bit of an aftermath or a hindsight of, of last year's World Cup, which was really disappointing. We had a really... Um, poor preparation. It was obviously still COVID bubbles and um, highly effective of that. And we sort of we lost three games quite convincingly, which um, tournament was definitely redemption. And the preparation was outstanding. You know, we started in South Africa as about eight, and we um, when we got to Adelaide initially was the first place we got to as the pre-tournament. Um, but it added more and more until uh, our final place we were before we got to Melbourne was Brisbane, and that's when the whole squad finally got together. So we were able to play games and train and get used to the facilities and just, you know, enjoy each other's company, which is really important along tours like that. And I think it just made a massive difference being able to, like, you know, going outside hotels to enjoy each other's companies, each other's company rather than be stuck in team rooms and hotels and things. And then just finally, how does it feel at the end of it um, a World Cup in these massive stadiums in Australia against some of the biggest and best teams in the world, and you guys have done really, really well. Like, if it was a straight knockout tournament, you guys would have qualified for the quarterfinals. Like, that's an extremely cool achievement. What, what does that feel like at the end of that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a surreal, a surreal experience for me uh, personally. I, I think the high points for me one when we first qualified for twelves, um, thanks to a UAE UAE win over Namibia. Uh, certainly playing against India at the SCG in front of a full crowd was um, quite outrageous and um, surreal experience, which is uh, something I always I always remember. And then, um, yeah, and then being South Africa two days, those are probably the three, the highest points of the tour. Um, and, you know, you, you don't, playing a World Cup in Australia, it doesn't get much better than that in, in grounds that, you know, I've, I've watched, I've watched on TV and um, even grew up, lived a little bit in Sydney when I was growing up. So I went to the SCG a lot. So actually playing there, uh, changing rooms, even using the practice facilities was just, just amazing. Elsewhere, England World Cup winner Jenny Gunn has announced her retirement from professional cricket. Gunn retired from international cricket three years ago after playing more than 250 times for England. She played a crucial innings in that semi-final win against Africa in 2017, helping England win that by two wickets with two balls left. And then in the final, she hit 25 unbeaten with the bat uh, to help England to a competitive score before going none for 17 off her seven overs with the ball in that famously close game. So a fantastic career comes to an end um 
Also in the women's game this week, the ECB released the latest batch of central contracts. 18 players were awarded contracts, including first contracts for Lauren Bell, Alice Capsey, Charlotte Dean, Fred Kemp, Emma Lamb and Izzy Wong. I've seen the point made by a few people that although the Lisa Kitely reign wasn't littered with silverware, her legacy will be she bringing few through, through this very exciting new generation of players who are already making an impact. Yeah, I think that's fair. Absolutely. There, there was a sense of a, a, a slight sort of drudgery, I, I guess, before the Kitely era that it was the same personnel often in certain places underperforming or treading water at best. Uh, she definitely came in and shook it up a little bit. And I think Heather, as well as the skipper, became more open to that, recognised that the team needed to evolve, needed a bit more physicality in, in there as well. And I thought when Anya called it a day, it was interesting what she said herself, you know, that the game had moved on and had become a more athletic, more physical game. Um, uh, and you see that in those names, you know, they're, they're, they're real athletes there. And, and uh, you know, in Lauren Bell and Izzy Wong, you've got two good young quicks. And obviously you've got a, a batch of batters there that that can really change change the game, certainly evolve the game on again. It's, it's, it's good, I think. And it's an exciting collection of, of names. It's not just impressive that we now have the, the money that's been siphoned to expand the game, but it, but the, the personnel that are benefiting from it as And well a lot of people who have passing. played for England and you have had central contracts in the past are still within the game in the fresh contracts. Like the, the regions are releasing who are their full-time players. And yeah. you're like, oh, well, four or five of them have already played for England. I think also, Kylie is, I mean, as Kylie said herself, she's felt much more comfortable picking these players because they've had exposure in the 100. And before that, we knew there were these exciting young players, but they didn't really have the opportunity to show they were ready. So Kylie has done that, but I think she's also, that's just been the circumstances that have been around while she's been while she's been coached. Uh, big news about the, the West Indies tour as well. well. Good news, I think. Yeah, so they go out in December. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so three ODIs and five T20s have been announced uh, next month. And the T20 World Cup is, is just around the corner. It's in it's in February, so not long to go until that. In the county game, there's a lot of county news that kind of just filters through the week. And hopefully I've, I've gathered anything. Shout if you think I missed something. Uh, Gareth Batty has unsurprisingly been appointed head coach at Surrey after he won the championship as interim coach. Uh, Matthew Maynard has effectively been removed as Glamorgan's white ball coach after they had a not very good year in the blast. Sussex have signed West Indies quick. Jaden Seals, which is a serious, serious signing, especially given how much they struggled with the ball last year. Uh, And Glamorgan have secured the services of Harry Podmore from Kent, who's got an excellent first-class record and done very well in Division 1 in the past. Back on to the T20 World Cup, bit of news from Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka have begun an inquiry into further incidents alleged to have taken place during the Men's T20 World Cup in Australia following Danushka Gunathalaka's arrest on rape charges. A three-person panel has been appointed to investigate uh, all those incidents. Um, there are various alleged incidents that have come to their attention. No details have been given on the nature of the other incidents being investigated. Joe, there is a new magazine out and it is new in, in more than one way. New look, mm. revamped, whatever you want to use. Yeah, it looks, um, it looks nice very sexy. for YouTube. We've chosen an odd time of year to do a new look magazine. <laughs> Phil and I have realised. That's our style. Uh, <laughs> not least because Phil was in Mozambique for half of it, but we've, <laughs> we've done it. We've got it out there. Um, and it's really good. I mean, I would say that, but it is, but it is good. We've got, I think I counted six new regular features oh, in nice. there. We've got a new kind of star interviewer in Mel Farrell, the Aussie broadcaster oh, and writer. Love you, Farrelly. And 
the cover feature we've gone with is looking ahead to England's test tour of Pakistan and the kind of white ball infused batting unit that they've picked. So we've Ben Duckett, uh, Keaton Jennings and Harry Brook. And we profiled, uh, help me, Liam Livingston and Will Jacks. Mm. These so, five see, players. That's our reach, you know, just pick three England players, just, just get, get them on the phone, meet them up for coffees. And, and the, the, you know, the theme is obviously that England are going out to play in the subcontinent in, in pretty much a way that no side has, has ever tried before, certainly no English side. And we don't know how it's going to go. And when I'm speaking to Ben Duckett and he says, you know, when I'm facing a spin bowler, my, my sweep shot is basically my forward defence. Uh, and you've got... Sounds like, good. <laughs> it sounds good. It, it, could, it could go either way. Uh, That's a brave thing to say yeah, before a, a tornado. Well, yeah. um, I suppose the only thing is, is that pitches don't really turn. And that was that was a, that was a crucial point he was making I in mean, that it's as well. Not, it isn't like playing, you know, obviously he made his, his test debut in, in Bangladesh and it you know, ragging square. Was it Mehdi Hassan with the with 19? How many wickets did he take in that test match? It was a lot anyway, 16 or something. Um, and, and it was turning square. Now in India... It turned square as well, um, totally legitimately so as well. I thought. From yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, but in Pakistan, it tends not to spin a great deal. Even the, the wrist spinners struggle to get it off the straight. So you know, there, there might be some some genius in it. And Duck I mean, said, the, he's had very little bounce as well, which is obviously also key allows yeah, him to play and, that and they, without they, too much fear. And he, yeah, he played he played magnificently. Well, I, I spoke to him a couple of times. We were out there, and, and one time I sort of said, "Oh, you know, this is a terrific little." terrific little sort of um, advertisement for your skills and your CV says what to become a subcontinent specialist I said well you got to (laughs) you know sort of like oh man well it was on that tour he said to me it was on that tour that Rob Key spoke to him because Rob Key was in Pakistan at the same time right and said to him look how do you feel about potentially opening in in the upcoming test series so I I think probably most people would have Jennings as favorite to open with Crawley but I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they go I mean, I the, the only the only issue I have with that is that the the first ten overs or so with Shaheen and and Nassim yeah. Shah are not going to be a picnic. You know, that's not going to be fun. Um, and, and that's why and being a, being an opening batter and having that having the, uh, the the technique and whatever to get through that is going to be is going to be just as valuable as guys being able to bosh it around in the middle order. So. And Jennings has got Test hundreds in Asia, and it, it, yeah, it would be the more also, sensible move. But think, that might be exactly the reason you know, they don't I do, do it. I do, I, and having done the job before, I kind of I get a little bit defensive over the idea that anyone can just go up and open the batting because that's not the case. In Jennings's favour, I've got a feeling that Duckett might get the nod. By the way, but in Jennings's favour is that last summer, and I know Duckett made big runs as well albeit in Division 2, but when Jennings got in on good tracks, he did make heavy runs, didn't he? You know, he made the triple, he made the one nine nine in the last game. So if we are thinking that these pitches are going to be flat, certainly for four days and more, then Jennings is an accumulator. Uh, and no slouch, right? I mean, once he sure, gets in, he scores sure. fluently He's, enough. Not Duckett levels, but... Yeah, but but I, I, I go with you. I do have a feeling that Duckett, being the more adventurous pick might just appeal to them but we shall see you know and and obviously they'll have a practice game or two to see how it goes so but Harry Brook so I'm just trying to think where England finished up so Harry Brook played for Johnny didn't he at batting yeah. at five and he's almost certainly he's going to play ben or, ben or stay at six so really the only the only real spot that's been opened up presuming they, they stick with stick largely with what they had in the first place is the, is, is the opening spot yeah. I think there's a reasonable chance that given given that they've picked so few seamers just from squad makeup, I think they're going to play Jacks at eight. Right. That's what I think they'll do. So folks at seven, Jacks at eight. Yeah. Sit on the. And I think Jacks has batted at eight. <laughs> oh, sorry, this season. Yeah, he has. And I would have yeah. Jacks. I think Jacks is a, a, above Livingston. Yeah. Really. I mean, you know, he's had a, 
What, proper, as, a, pro- as a bowler? Well, just in terms of um, in the pecking order, because he's had a proper Red Bull season. He's helped Sarri win a championship. He's actually done that job of being a holding spinner. Livingston hasn't really done that in Red Bull cricket. He's got, he's got some talent there, clearly, but that would be an even bigger punt. But again, that might be exactly the reason they go for it, because this is Stokes <laughs> mm. and McCullum, and, and you never know. Mm. Um, what else is in the magazine? Loads of stuff. I did a piece on Yorkshire's relegation and what went wrong you know, on the field, but naturally it obviously takes in some off-field stuff as well. How many pages was that? <laughs> it was four. It was four. <laughs> it could have been a lot more. Could have been a lot more if uh, Yorkshire actually let you speak to some people as well. Uh, always tough on that one. Um, thank you to Jordan Thompson for, for taking the time to speak to me uh, when he didn't have to. That was very kind of him. Uh, in difficult circumstances. C- could I just interrupt you there on the Yorkshire thing? So this morning, Roger Hutton, the former chair, has said that he won't engage with the public disciplinary hearing that's going to take place at the end of the month he says he has no confidence in the authority uh, of the ECB whatsoever uh, and so he says that he's given information privately but won't won't front up in what's now going to be this public hearing uh, so it's it's a, a further layer of, of, of misery on top of what's going to be a pretty explosive uh, couple of days at come the end of November and look this story will continue to run and run uh, and become ever more ugly and contorted as it goes, I'm afraid. Um, Other stuff in there. Got a really good column from Lawrence Booth on the ICC sponsorship deal with Saudi oil giants Aramco. That was excellent. He's gone in quite hard. Obviously, we've got COP27 started yesterday. Is cricket doing its bit? Quite emphatically, no. Uh, and he's got quite a lot of examples in his column of what cricket could be doing. You know, As he says at the end, you can't cricket can't save the world, but it can do its bit. And at the moment, it's falling far short of that. Uh, and then my favourite piece of the magazine is actually interviewing the man sitting opposite me, but uh, also his dad. So I've got a new feature on what it's like to be the parent of a of a pro cricketer, um, uh, experiencing the highs and lows, being involved, sometimes having to sit back and watch it unfold. Uh, so I spoke to Alan, Mark's dad, had a lovely chat with him, went to Mark, saw how their stories tallied up, which, you know, in most cases they did. There were a, a few, a few <laughs> points of disagreement. Uh, and that's going to be an ongoing series. So I'm going to speak to Mo and Ali's dad, Munir, uh, Joe Root's parents, Matt and Helen, and uh, see how that kind of plays out over the next few months. But it's, it's good fun to do. And it, you're talking, not in the case of Alan, because obviously he's, he's a professional cricketer himself, played for England. He's done lots of interviews, but I'm looking forward to speaking to people who don't usually do an interview and, and can hear the role they played. And, you know, speaking to Matt Root, for instance, being the dad of the greatest batsman in the world, possibly England's greatest ever, that must be a kind of pinch yourself thing, right? How's how's that on a day-to-day basis? I'm I'm looking forward to hearing some stories from him. Did you get Dan Lawrence's dad on? He was great. Yeah, on TMS. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Mark. Yeah. Oh, other things. It is a is a, a belter. This one, uh, Wallace Jim Wallace has done a a good piece on the evolution of fielding from Colin Bland through to now, uh, and Matt Roller, who's starting to write for us a bit more. He's the Crick Info associate editor, and he gets a shout out on this show. Every well, week, he's, by he's the been way. on a few dailies. Yeah, he's, been he's on, on more yeah. than me recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's written an excellent thing about, if you like, origin stories of T20 players and how the T20 games democratized the game and brought the game, spread it out into the outposts that would have been previously disdained upon or ignored. Well, now you're getting these stories that are coming through of of, of cricketers who who make their way via the backwaters to, to stardom. And, you know, he's, he's done a really beautiful job on that. Um, Cameron Ponsonby interviewed uh, Harry, Harry Brook Brooke. as well. So so there's a good collection of, of names. And we've got a spruced up 
new gear section, equipment, you know, best stuff of the year. Uh, discounted as well, by the way, um, from Pro Direct, And uh, a new coaching section as well. Now, as you know, because you've been involved in this, we've got now a roster of what WCM coaches, I guess you'd call them, the team of coaches from, help me out, Matt Parkinson to Keaton Jennings to... Ollie Pope, Mark Rampakash, Tash Farron, Lydia Ale- Greenway, Alex Tudor. Alex Tudor. Yeah. Toby Radford, the batting specialist as John well. John Simpson's our keeper. John Simpson. Got pretty much an 11 there. Decent <laughs> side, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, so, yeah, so important to say we, we are going to be getting masterclasses from these these coaches but also they're going to be answering your questions so uh, I don't know if you've already done a plug for this on the pod if you probably have. Before, but yeah, but yeah so if you've got any coaching queries of the stuff you're working on the nets over the winter that you want some help on your bat and your bowling your keeping your fielding then uh, email us at the usual address or tweet us and we'll put the be- we'll put the best questions to these coaches mm. and you can send in we talked about sending in videos as well we can show, show, show these guys absolutely yeah. yeah yeah much as you can throw at us cool um, as ever, you can get the latest magazine, which is out later this week at wisdom.com forward slash shop. Uh, that is all we have time for on today's show. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Mark. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. We'll be back tomorrow after the first T20 World Cup semi-final. Cheers for listening. Podcast Network.